Thank you for listening to CASDA EdCast, where we explore issues and ideas of K-12 education and speak with teachers and administrators about their experiences serving the needs of students in our region. So welcome to this quarter's CASDA EdCast. Really happy to be here today with Sepidius Raby, an English as a New Language teacher in the North Colony School District. Sepida, could you please, you know, introduce yourself, um, give us a little background on you know, your work and your, your academic work? Sure. My name is Sepidi Astrabi. I'm a PhD candidate at School of Education, Department of Educational Theory and Practice at U Albany. I have been teaching English as both a second language and a foreign language uh, for about 17 years now, both back in Iran and in the United States. I've taught both in urban and suburban public schools in New York State. Um, I've worked in a charter school in South Bronx for a year. I've also taught graduate courses at the Department of Educational Theory and Practice for uh, those interested uh, graduate students who are planning to get their TESOL degree in New York State and also some other methodology courses in TESOL. I also had the pleasure of working for the School of Public Health at UAlbany as a researcher and develop an online ESL curriculum for them for displaced Syrian medical students for over two years and a half and trained teachers for them. In regards to my doctoral dissertation, um, I'm working right now on narrative and particularly narrative competence in the field of uh, teaching English language learners in K through 12. It is worth knowing that my view of narrative competence is quite different from what is normally understood in terms of, you know, standardized criteria. For me, narrative competence is a cultural capacity that needs to be nurtured and um, developed in students. My aim is to propose and implement a set of methodological and pedagogical guidelines and practices that will allow students to identify specific historical and social relationships in seemingly non-narrative categories, themes, imageries, motives, so as to set them in motion and uncover their temporal core. Now, what I mean by temporal core is to emphasize the significance and the role of time. And by that, individual and collective histories, past, present, and future. Um, to establish connections, in other words, between seemingly separate, you know, entities and social spheres between the personal and the public, uh, the private and the public, the personal and the political, the psychological and the social, the economic, the aesthetic, the local and the global. So um, perhaps one way to accomplish this task uh, would be to develop students' narrative competence, which involves establishing precisely such connections through narrative-based inquiry. You know, it sounds like you're situating language within, you know, all of the kinds of forces that produce our social reality, right? Exactly. So what do we say when we mean that language and language learning is socially mediated? And, and you know, what do we mean when we say that language is socially constructed at the most basic level? Yeah, so... Um, the simple answer is that language comes into being as a result of humans' interaction and is also governed by human social interaction. For example, in a world without, uh, I'm sorry, with one person, there is no language. Um, now, language is a weird thing. 
Because even though it comes to us naturally, meaning we don't even think about what goes into making and constructing phrases, sentences, and perhaps even meanings, we don't even remember how we mastered our first languages, perhaps, but we probably can't even imagine our thoughts, our sense of self, our knowledge of the world and the other people without language. Language is perhaps one of the most complex, strange, and alienating of human exp expressions. We are born into language. It pre-exists us or predates us individually. And yet, it's probably the most human and social of our, our capacities because language comes into being only and only as a result of human interactions or relations. In other words, uh, language is historical in uh, the sense that it always bears traces of a specific history, but also in the sense that it comes into being at a specific time in history. So it can also change, and that's important to highlight. It can always change. So uh, in so far as language is an expression of social relationships between human beings, to that extent, language is socially mediated. As much as we may want to believe, language both as a system and structure, this is what uh, the French linguist Ferdinand de Saussure called la langue, and as an instance of individual utterance, that is language in use or discourse or what Saussure called parole, language does not exist in a vacuum outside human society or social relations. Uh, so language as a system is just an impersonal set of rules and structures. Yet, at the same time, it can be the most personal expression of ourself. And so behind every language, there exists a particular social lived experience. And so behind every language, I'm going to repeat that, there exists a particular social lived experience. And it's important then, because you're working with learners, you know. Language bears witness to human interactions. That's how it comes to being, how it develops. There's always a cer certain... A set of social and human relationships embedded in language and language mediates the relationship between the individual and the world so it's socio-culturally regulated. Why, why would you say it's important for teachers of students who are learning English to like emphasize maybe the relational element of language? Yes, um, I think down the line today um, in the questions I'm going to talk about the common view in ENL instruction in K-12 through uh, education. But uh, in order to give a short response to your question, um, what, I'm, uh, what I'm arguing is that we cannot go about erasing those social lived experiences that happen through language. And uh, the idea of, uh, I will talk um, in length about assimilation, the ideological idea of assimilation, acculturation, mainstreaming. Those are happening in our public schools that is kind of erasing uh, students or stripping them from their identities. So what, let's go into that then. Like, do you want to talk about the competency framework? You know what it is, and you know how it relates to the dominant kind of methodologies in, you know, English, English as a new language instruction. Yeah. So um, competency-based education, also known as CBE, emerged in the United States in around nineteen. 70s, um, in 1968 to be precise. Uh, it refers to an educational movement that advocated defining educational goals in terms of precise, measurable description of language. Um, in other words, 
there are measures they're going to be assessed and students need to meet those goals a very positivistic approach to learning um, now what's wrong in this model in my opinion is that this model reinforces a view of language that simplifies it or reduces it to a mere channel of communication where language is an empty vessel a mere conduit for our thoughts and emotion perhaps um, you know such an instrumental view has its place in our daily social interactions as well. For instance, in journalism, news media, what we are, what we are proposing here and what such constructivist view of language implies when we say language is socially and culturally mediated, then language become, becomes constitutive of who we are. It goes to the heart of our identities, which is radically different way of understanding language as an empty means of communication. Now, regarding your second question, uh, about the relationship between the competency view and the uh, in our practices in K through 12. Sadly, I have to say that what we face is chaos um, in simple term in K through 12. Um, let me just highlight that uh, if, from my perspective, I think the issue is systemic, uh, meaning we do not prepare our graduate students who would like to pursue a career in teaching English as a second language for an alternative view towards language teaching, at least to my best of knowledge. It's not a typical practice. Now, let me just um, talk a little bit about what happens in K through 12 classroom. Language tasks um, and practices um, in a typical ENL classroom have been mostly focused on a sentence level form, sometimes even phonics and decoding, rather than a discourse level structure. Therefore, a bottom-up, bottom-up meaning words, phrases, sentences, paragraph, rather than a holistic approach starting from top to bottom, meaning pragmatics and context should be also included, um, has been emphasized. A characteristic feature of this uh, method is a disproportionate valuation of syntax, that is grammar, at the cost of de-emphasizing semantic and pragmatic, which means meaning and context for language learners. So you're saying that there's you know pretty severe consequences in terms of instruction for yes. decontextualizing language. That's Stripping true. it down, you know, taking almost like a mechanical view, right? Or you said instrumental, right? Instrumental. Exactly. I guess, you know, and that relates back to what you say about narrative, right? Because, you know, narrative brings in some of the core elements. Core element, right. In, in deeper deeper ways, right? And it's not yes. just this decontextualized and abstract mechanics of language. It's part of the argument that if students can relate to language and express, you know, and, and learn to incorporate narrative in their lived experience, is part of that argument that like that actually helps with learning? Yes, uh, that's exactly true. What I want to emphasize is that uh, narrative competence and narrative-based inquiry uh, views language learning as a balanced alteration between syntax, grammar, semantics, meaning, and pragmatic context. So all of them together, it's not highlighting or emphasizing one or another. In so other does that context piece like support sort of like a funds of knowledge? History, asset-based all of exactly. exactly. Is that exactly. that's sort of what you can bring in with exactly. that approach in a more organic and authentic way. Exactly. And so that definitely has important consequences for, you know, how we think about instruction in 
English as a new language classrooms and in all classrooms where you have students who are at various points in their in their learning of English. So how else can we approach this? You know, what what principles should we be centering? You know, if, if we're going to start to move away from, you know, a narrow and mechanical competence based frame, what else can we do and what else what should teachers be thinking about as they try to incorporate a more holistic approach? Short answer is um, real linguistic creativity is a discursive phenomenon. Um, I've published on this before. Um, uh, there is a paper that I published named Narrative and Language Use. Um, it's a kind of, it's an empirical study that suggests that narrative constitutes a robust tool and it always assumes a specific, again, temporal trajectory, which again, I'm emphasizing the significance role of time uh, for, um, by that individual and collective history, past, present, and future. Uh, the important thing, and this can be done through all content area, this is not just ENL, is that every narrative exists on at least two levels. The level of the story and that of the act of narration. Um, the narrative form constitutes a register in which the uh, learner can deploy various variations of the self, that is, her or his identities. And that's what it's why it's important to keep this intact because we don't want to erase identities for our learners, right? So at the most important, at the most important and the most basic level, narration is a space where students can center and celebrate their identities and their cultures. And even one step behind that, I think, is that at most superficial level, it's a therapeutic act when you write, when you narrativize the new journal, right? Specific stu specifically students who mostly come to us with traumas. Immigrant students have had long journeys and sometimes they have, have had very difficult uh, pasts. What, what, what's also important is that narrative always assumes a developing whole, uh, which necessitates, again, uh, making connection between the parts. Um, thus, it kind of negates any merely unilateral, either bottom-up approach to language learning or top-down or any fragmentary approach to language learning, but it rather foregrounds a necessity for both vertical and horizontal, both subjective and objective, and finally both registers of form and content. Also, one final note is that narrative form also implies dialogue, not only between the characters per se, but between the writer and the audience which is associated with rich grammatical features like tense, modality, diaxis, and clause structures. These are the parts that obviously will be kind of taught and promoted hopefully in the ENL classrooms as well. If you were to try to approach this as a teacher for the first time, you're interested in, in implementing a, a narrative-based approach, what would that look like in terms of a lesson in the classroom? Um, first of all, we, we in order to answer your question is that any, any material that is um, uh, being taught in classroom should be actually be, should be prepared through the lens of the student's background. Who are my learners? Where are they from? What is their literacy level? And by literacy, obviously there are certain questions that are coming to us. What socioeconomic level are they coming from? because obviously there is a connection between socioeconomic status and the literacy level of the students. Sometimes we need to know, view literacy from a critical viewpoint, right? And if, if, if a proficiency test labels my 
student as an entering student, and I know that resources are low at home, it's important to highlight how these standardized measures are problematic in terms of viewing language as the standard form of, you know, let's say you, ability. You, and so, right, when you look at a lot of these commonly used assessments, right, they're really putting forth a very normative view, language proficiency that is always ideological. Exactly. So, um, Competency view of language learning conceals the reality that there's always an issue of access. This right. approach empties language learning of the social content, by which I mean race, gender, socioeconomic status, and sexuality. Well, um, when language becomes normative, normative, right, or hegemonic or dominant, then it's going to be an issue, right? Exactly. And, and a matter of power. You just read you just read my mind. I just wanted to say that when language becomes normative, a particular use of language becomes normal or natural, yes. or better yet, naturalized. Mm -hmm. Which means it masks or erases the sociocultural privileges that underpin issues of literacy, equity, and access. So those norms have become valued measures for learners in public schools through the competency view. Now, one of the core tenets of what uh, we're proposing is that uh, ENLs, English language learners, obviously are um, reiterating that learn holistically, not through isolated skills. Therefore, a historical view entails that what we take as the normal, the standard, is always the historically specific use of language that makes a claim to timeless or abstract universality. As you said, we need to kind of go back and reread those common categories, which are obviously ideological, not as natural, but rather historical, namely mainstreaming, assimilation, native, non-native, acculturation, standard, proficiency, correct language use, and so on and so forth. So now I'm going to go back to question number two, that language is socially mediated. For instance, in K through 12 education, the emergence and the domination of the category of native level proficiency not only assumes a homogeneous level of proficiency of language use among native speaker, but it also assumes an unproblematic access to literacy among native learners. Um, there is a scholar in the field of education and linguistic anthropology named Rothstein. He has uh, demonstrated through his years of decades of research uh, the ways in which racialized, gendered, and class-specific discourse and practices influence academic performance and achievement ga gaps among the so-called native speakers. How does how does the practice of of engaging in like an asset-based and like narrative approach to language impact children's learning of 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 language and and of content? Um, it impacts them in various ways and forms. Um, one of them is that implementing narrative in classroom can make for a cultural responsive pedagogy, uh, which obviously um, is. Um, Recently, there is a pamphlet that has been released by the New York State Education Department that um, it's actually 
asking all teachers and administrators to kind of shift back their instruction to the uh, actually it's a, a better word is to align their instruction with a culture responsive lens so um if we want to kind of practice a culture responsive pedagogy meaning aligning the material that we ta teach with the student's background and if we are not aligning them we're providing or adding certain background knowledge so our students are not lost um, I think narrative is one way to go. So um, any, anything that is narrative based, which is, again, it has the temporal core, beginning, middle and end, should be practiced and promoted in K through 12 classrooms. Um, I can give you a, a brief example of one of the practices that I do in my classroom is that whenever um, I have a certain group of language learners, I try to see where they are from. And usually I try to bring in texts that are either mirroring some of my learners or at least showing the experiences of my learners uh, through the voice of the author. There was a text uh, called Smells Like Home. This was uh, originally published by a New York Times food and culture section. It's a story of an immigrant teenager girl uh, who moves from Yugoslavia to New York State. And she um, talks about the smells of her childhood. Now, when we read this text, obviously we do close reading of the text and we provide background knowledge on Yugoslavia, what happened there, uh, and so on and so forth. It's interesting that Students eventually write their own narratives, right, about the idea of home, what it means, uh, what it means to them. Now, the importance of writing about home from a narrative perspective, from a narrative competence perspective, is twofold. First, it kind of essentially highlights that narrative competence is about knowledge making and functions to reveal the connections between the individual and her history, her past. So we are not erasing or stripping students from their past. But also, we are highlighting that it's important. And we also want that to be seen. Um, so it's essentially about knowledge making and functions to reveal the connections between the individual and her history, but also between the individual and the society at large, which means other people, the various social, cultural, economic, political institutions. Secondly, it specifies the preconditions of and limits to what can be knowable within a particular community. So obviously there are limits and we're acknowledging that. So with the idea of home in that, going back to the lesson that was taught in class, the interesting result out of that practice was that I learned that students, at least my students in that specific context, do not see home as a fixed concept. It's mm. more of a dynamic concept for them. And that is what needs to be celebrated, that fluid, fluidity or that kind of view um, or anything that gives students that freedom to go back talk about their histories, uh, make the connection between where they come from, what they have experienced, where they are now, and let's talk about their feeling about, 
for instance, in that example of home. Where is it? Is it here in the United States? Is it back where they come from? Some of them have been here. They have gone through multiple countries. So what does home mean for them? I, I've seen very interesting results when I kind of use that specific lesson in my class. How important is it to create you know, a safe and welcoming inclusive learning space to, you know, allow students to explore home in a way that allows them to see it in these sort of fluid and dynamic ways. I think you, you, you really, um, you're talking about a very important aspect. Again, um, interestingly, we are tying it back with cultural responsive pedagogy, one of the uh, main uh, arguments of cultural responsive pedagogy that was actually the document released um, to public schools was that uh, creating welcoming and affirming environment in classrooms. And by that, um, it's a multifold process, but it's New York State is basically asking all teachers to look into their internal biases, make sure that what they're teaching is a good fit for their their students and that creates obviously a safe welcoming and affirming environment and if you're seeing that what we are teaching is either too far from where our students are or it's not even addressing who our students are or in a way it's erasing who our students are we need to kind of go back and revisit what we are bringing in it's important to highlight that from my perspective, again, going back to narrative competence, we cannot strip any text from its historical aspect. And that is what is called for uh, in terms of, again, cultural responsive pedagogy, welcoming and affirming environment. Many of our ENL students come to us from war-torn countries. Displacement is an interesting um, topic that could be studied in classrooms. Um, now, when we talk about these classrooms, sorry, these topics, when we talk about these topics, obviously, step by step, we can see that we are creating a room for discussion. And that for me, um, I, from my own um, lived experience in classroom, I've seen that that opens a channel through communication with the students. You say fair would it be fair summary of your argument to say that you can't strip any text of its historical context and you can't strip any student of their history and culture and expect to have a good learning experience that that's accurate and i think that um uh, developing um this mode of thinking knowledge making through narrative competence or narrative inquiry will eventually lead in what you just addressed. Well, thank you so much for sharing your perspective on you know, English language instruction, history and social context, and how language is always you know, mediated through those lenses and really helping us kind of introduce a critical lens to how we think about language in the classroom. I'm really grateful for that. And we're looking forward to hearing from you more uh, and maybe some workshops coming up soon. Just thank you so much for your time and perspective. Yes, thank you for having me. Thank you to Casta. And I'm really excited to have this conversation uh, later, perhaps in form of uh, workshops and other type of activities.